let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, today, for blessing us with the times of fellowship and opportunities to uh, talk about you, speak your word. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity again to go out to the prison this afternoon. We pray for those uh, souls there, Lord. We pray that they uh, truly uh, look to you and uh, take you and your word seriously and seek you. And Lord, uh, that any that are there that don't know you, we pray for their salvation. May they may they know you in truth. We ask you to save souls. We ask you to. Uh, give us wisdom in seeking your face and doing your will. And, Lord, lead us to those that uh, uh, that need to hear. Grant uh, wisdom, and wisdom in serving, wisdom in speaking, uh, so that, uh, again, we may be used to point others to Christ and glorify your name. Help us, Lord, in this study tonight as we consider uh, this passage in Revelation, Lord. Uh, again, grant understanding, we pray. And, Lord, may it uh, just increase our, our knowledge of you and, and, uh, in the right way and increase our trust in you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's go back to Revelation 7. And Boy, it is, it's good to see everybody, but it is really good to see Robert here with us tonight. That's a blessing. So, any, any uh, thoughts or questions on this morning's? Message. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, they went through it, and and a lot of them, maybe all of them, there uh, were martyred, uh, killed during the tribulation. You know, right? Yes, ma'am. No, I don't think so. I think it's it. I think the idea there is just that um, God has us marked out. Um, and, and, and so it's a, it's a way of communicating to us. In other words, there's nothing that we can see, like, visibly. But, but the reason he's telling us that here is it's a way of communicating to us that, uh, again, our safety, you know, that we are marked out. And, and it's not like God's going to lose track of us <laughs> and say, whoops, lost that one. Uh, it's not going to happen, you know, because he, he's got us marked out, and, and he's going to bring us all the way safely home. So, yeah, in fact, let me, uh, I had a couple of references down here this morning that I never did use this morning. But I, but I think a, a good uh, thing to equate this with um, would be the, uh, the, the sealing that Paul talks about. Of, you know, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So let me, let me give you a couple of examples of that. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's go there first, I got... Yeah, just just a couple of passages here where uh, where Paul uses that same uh, analogy, I guess you'd say, of the seal. But he's but but of course here it's going to be obvious he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean he says this. So Second Corinthians one twenty one twenty. Let's go to twenty. Second Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, that is in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
So, so Paul uses that when he's talking about the the um, the gift of the Holy Spirit and and the and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He he uses that same um, analogy of a seal. God, it's like God has stamped us. He's put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Um, so, so we're sealed. So, so it's the you know, God has us marked out. So from His vantage point, He knows who are the ones that are His. From our advantage, from our vantage point, we have the the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, so Paul says that's why we cry, Abba, Father. Um, you know, because it's because of the Holy Spirit within us. Or John says, you know, no no one can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so it's, it's the it's the, opera, uh, the the work of the Spirit within us, witnessing to us that we are children of God, and uh, uh, that's that's the seal. It's a, it's a guarantee, as Paul says it here, like a down payment um, of our salvation. So that's one. Let's go. The same. He 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 uses the same thing over in Ephesians. Ephesians four thirteen. Hang on. 4.30, and, and then let's see. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, of course, the idea there is ownership. You know, like, like I say, it's like God put his stamp on us showing his, uh, his ownership. Uh, now look back in chapter 1, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 13. In whom... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of, our, of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. There you've got the same language we saw over in Corinthians. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he's, 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 sealed. he's given us a seal of the Holy Spirit, um, which, like I said, is, is a witness... In, in our hearts to, to us that we are the children of God and, and uh, um, boy there's a lot we could talk about there because I mean, in other words how does that how does that witness manifest well uh, I won't probably won't go in too deep to this but we, we've talked about it before but um, through, through changed life right so, so for example in Ephesians 2 when Paul says you were dead in trespasses and sin he made you alive um, get down to Ephesians 2.10 and the result is good works um, and and that's that's the um, that's the evidence, and and it's the Holy Spirit, of course, that that produces in us the will, uh, both both to will and to do, like Paul says in Philippians two thirteen. Yeah, I don't think it's a literal mark. I was going to say, we're going to see that later when we get to talking about the beast, but why would it use the imagery of forehead and and hands? Well, I mean, if you, you think about that, and, and that is, you know, your, your, your mind, in other words, how your forehead representing your mind, how you think, and your hands representing your works, what you do. And, and we see this, for example, in the Old Testament when, when God told, you know what the phylacteries are that they would wear? The, in, in Jesus' day, and they would wear them a little, little box with with scripture in it, uh, Deuteronomy uh, from Deuteronomy four, and the whole idea was, you know, you put these things on your forehead and on your hands. In other words, what the Lord had in mind was, 
your, so that your mindset and your works line up with the law of God. But what they did was take it literally, and they wore them on their forehead and their, and their hands. And so, you know, and then you see that in the New Testament. Jesus condemned them for uh, even making those things larger, uh, you know, so that people would see them. Yeah, and think they were, and, and you know, they missed the whole point. You know, it's it's get it in, get the law of God in your head, get it in your head, and work it out in your life. So, so I, I think that's the same idea going on with the mark of the beast. Uh, in other words, people are so given over to the power of Satan that um, they share his mindset and they do his will. Oh, we're seeing some examples of that right now. Um, we, there have already been people put out of business because they wouldn't line up uh, on this issue of homosexuality. In other words, they, they refuse. Yeah. Yeah. Out, out of conviction, you know, they said, we're not going to celebrate a, a same-sex wedding, and they were literally put out of business. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just to, just, you know, and it could get to the point now. Now I'm saying this. This is the way. This is this is uh, you know how I understand it to be. But but I mean it's possible. I want to be clear. You know it's possible that it's referring to a literal mark, and if if it is, uh, we could still see that playing out too, couldn't we? Uh, you know I mean they've got technology today that that. Uh, but but I just I, I just you know skeptical about that view. But 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 like I say, if it is, um, they could sure do it. And, and that's the reason, if, if, let's say that is the right you know, interpretation, that's the way it's going to go. Well, that, that's the reason that people will accept it, because there are going to be a lot of good practical uses for it. Just kind of like, you know, why do we carry a credit card and risk people getting all of our information? And, and, uh, or why do, we, why do we accept the idea of a social, social security number? Uh, well, there are still a lot of good practical uses, and, and it just kind of makes sense. So we say, okay, we'll do that. Um, and that's the way they get you. But. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, especially here, um, because here, for example, Dan is omitted, and 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 I don't, I, I don't know what would be the reason for omitting Dan. You know, there are other lists where um, there's is switching around. I think Ezekiel, uh, I think it's Ezekiel 38, and then one I had referenced here this morning, Genesis 35. Um, let's see, in Genesis 35, starts in verse 22. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went, let's see, yeah, okay. Israel heard of it. Now the sons of, sons of Jacob were 12. Sons of Leah, Reuben, these are the actual 12 sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Sons of Rachel, uh, or Joseph and Benjamin, sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. Uh, these were the sons of Jacob who were born in Padanaram. Now, th- those are the, I mean, that's the actual list of Jacob's sons. Let me see if I can find the other uh, one I was mentioning. Yeah, right, and I don't think it does. And, and some people speculate, you know, some of the commentators speculate that that's the reason that they don't match up. It's 
like John sending a signal. This is not really talking about the sons of of, uh, of Jacob, because again, you know, Dan is entirely omitted, and we don't know why. And people speculate as to why. Don't know. Maybe it's not Ezekiel 38. Let's see, 48. Okay, right at the beginning. Okay, yeah. These are the names of the tribes beginning at the northern extreme. Okay, so you got Dan. Yeah, it goes through them one at a time. So joining Neptali. Okay, see, see Manasseh and Ephraim are listed here, and, the, and the, those are son, Joseph's sons. All right, so here you've got a different list than you have in, in Deuteronomy 35. Um, so, um, I had a, uh, actually had a, I don't have it with me, but I had a side-by-side comparison. But anyway, um, I, you know, so I don't know. You get to, like in, in Revelation, I don't know what the reason for that is, unless it is just to make us know that it's, or help us understand that it's symbolic. I, yeah, I, I think, and you know, I, I really think because there's, like I say, numbers are, are used r- repeatedly here in symbolic ways. Um, so I, I really don't, I just don't take the number 144,000 literally. Is that possible? Sure. Yeah, certainly it is. And and a lot of people would say that. Uh, hmm. No, no. In fact, um, Yes. The way they used to. They I mean they've had to back off that some because what Paul just said, they outgrew that number. <laughs> so so I mean that created a problem. Um you know, they're mentioned again over in chapter fourteen, but but uh yeah, I, I think the number is symbolic. Uh just the idea of fullness. You know, you know, you get a, a number number twelve is another one of those numbers that like like you have twelve tribes, you have twelve apostles. All right, so it's, just, it's it's another one of those numbers that seems to represent um, fullness or completeness or perfection, and and so then like here, you know, it's multiplied times uh, was that twelve hundred? So so it, you know, it just seems to me it, it, that's that's the idea here. Uh, and and like I said this morning, I think those two crowds, the hundred and forty-four thousand, and the great multitude that no one can number in verse nine, I think, are the same crowds. They're just—it's the same people. They're representing the same people. It's just uh, pictured in two different ways. And in the first, in the first uh, few verses, yes, that's the tribulation is coming, and he's sealing them. But then, when you get on in, in the verse nine, and you see the innumerable multitude, the tribulation is behind them, and they and they came through it. Uh, victorious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some pe- some people. Um, uh, I mean, another view is that like the 144,000 here represents Jewish believers, Christians, ethnic Jews who who uh, have come to faith in Christ, and then the great multitude in verse nine represents uh, you know Gentile believers. But but I, I don't you know. Like I say, it seems to me that it's, it's representing the same people, just in two different ways. 
Well, Paul says that, but but I don't think that in in Romans. But I don't. Yeah, I don't think he mean he, he doesn't mean every single Jew that ever lived. Or he, he seems to be speaking of a of a. We would say like an, an end time awakening or revival where, just like you could say right now, generally speaking, Jews reject Christ. So he seems to be pointing toward a time where, generally speaking, all the Jews come in and, and receive Christ. Um, right. Yeah, it's a secular state. Yeah, it's not a... a I mean... Yeah, the way that they're set up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they have, uh, at least last I heard, they had, uh, uh, I try to say Muslims, it may not have been plural, maybe it was one, I don't know, but like, like in Parliament and uh, in the military. Uh, yeah, it's 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 secular state. Um, so, predominantly Jewish, but then again, like you say, a lot of those people, a lot of those people who would, who would quickly tell you they were Jews, uh, May not even believe in God at all. You know, you can be. Yeah, you can be uh, an athe- a Jewish atheist, an atheistic Jew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a little more than that. I mean, it's culture. Um, yeah, tradition, ethnicity, culture, tradition, and, and yeah. And so, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of secular Jews uh, there in here. Absolutely. But yeah, Paul does say that, in, in that all Israel shall be saved. Now, there's, there's again, there's another, that's another, <laughs> what exactly is he talking about? There's a lot of discussion on that. Uh, but it may be that, um, it, it may be, I mean, that's, that, you know, that that's what's being referred to here, the same type thing. But, but uh, you know, it's just, in all honesty, the the identity of the 144,000 is really a tough issue. I mean, it's, it's obscure. It doesn't it doesn't right, come out right and tell us um, what this crowd represents. Um, if you take it absolutely literally, then yes, you got 12,000 Jews from each tribe mentioned here. But uh, uh, like like I say, the, the, I guess the problems with interpreting it that way, for one, is you got uh, the whole tribe of Dan missing, um, not to mention the fact that there's so much. Um, I mean, the, the revelation is is full of symbolism, so so you just have to be careful. Interpretation is 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 hard work. I mean, you just have to be careful. Zero in on on something and saying that's literal. You know, literal seven years tribulation or literal 144,000 or literal 1,000 year reign. Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, we just we just have to be really careful and uh, make sound decisions and in interpretation. All right. Anything else? On any of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes. Let's go back to that for just a second here. Uh, which passage was that? Ephesians four. Let me look at something real quick here. It'd be one thirteen or four thirty. I don't remember which one it was. Four thirty. I just wanted to see how it was worded here. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. So, and this is one reason, you know, context, 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 because Paul's not talking about like just sin in general here. 
He's zeroing in on something very, very specific. Relationships and, and speaking, speaking with a mouth. All right, so for example, look at verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So that's, that's instruction for church, the church, the body of Christ. When you go back and look at chapter 4, um, oh, let's see, down verse 11, for example, he gave uh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the service for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. I mean, that's, that's what's going on here. Paul is, Paul is exhorting the people to be unified. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, the lost people in other words, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, it takes on a whole different light when you put it in context. Paul is talking about how to treat one another in the church, how to be unified, how to be holy, how to love and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, if, you, if you're not going to do these things, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So what's he mean by don't grieve the Holy Spirit? It means love one another. 
Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Speak words that edify. And don't speak anything else. What he said. So, yeah. Do we grieve the Spirit? I mean, does our sin grieve the Spirit? Uh, well, sure. God's not happy with our sin. But, uh, but, but yeah, what he's, what he's talking about here is, um, you know, it's in this context, love one another, don't grieve the Spirit. Because it grieves the Spirit when we don't dwell in unity. In fact, it's one of the things God says He hates. Okay. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Marked out. All right. Now, I know some of the things, like talking about the mark. Um, and that's why, you know, what I try to do is uh, is uh, tell you where I stand on things, and but let you know, you know, there are other views. Uh, I mean, because some of these things we just, some, some of these things we can be sure about, some of these things we can't, seems to me, we can't be sure about. Um, so I, so what I really try to emphasize is the things that we know, we know, like we talked about this morning, <laughs> salvation is of the Lord, our Lord. All right? We know. We know that. We know. Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. We know that. God sits on the throne and rules. We know that. And Revelation is driving these points home. And uh, I'm, I'm all for, um, like, investigating the other things. But, uh, and, and I enjoy that, by the way. Uh, and I'm all for investigating the other, these other things, but I just want to keep them in perspective you know the the primary thing up here that God sovereignly rules and that He, uh, you know, there's a struggle between the uh, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, and God wins, and because He wins, we win. I mean, that's basically the message of Revelation. You know, we're coming out on top of this thing because if we're in Christ, if we're in Christ, we're coming out on top of this thing because Christ conquered the world, uh, and so these other things. Uh, are important. I mean, they're here. The Holy Spirit gave them to us, but 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 they take a uh, seems to me a secondary position in terms of importance. So so something like who is the hundred and forty four thousand? That does interest me. It does. But but you know if, when you when you look at something, and you look at something, and you look at something, and look at something, and you can't get a definite um, answer. You just kind of got to say, well, you know what? I don't know for sure who they are, <laughs> but, but I think. Uh, it seems reasonable that they're this or that they're that, you know. And, and we're going to see a lot of that kind of thing in uh, in Revelation because of the the genre of the book. It's it's a it's a prophetic and it's apocalyptic, so it uses a lot symbolism and uh, uh, you know it's just uh, it's just you you know you just got to go at it with caution, I guess you know. Pray, pray for discernment and right understanding. But the but the main points are always clear. You know, um, God is on our side, <laughs> and and He's going to get us safely home. And that's you know Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Those are the main points, and those things are crystal clear. Crystal clear. And, you know, and one of the reasons that you and I can say that, uh, you know, I mean, if we haven't been there, if we haven't, one of the reasons we can say that is because we've got the testimony of Scripture. You know, we, like, an experience, but, I mean, we, we've got the testimony of Scripture. These martyrs were able to do it. And it wasn't because they were superhumans. Like, 
like like we're saying, it's you know, it's not not it wasn't by their own power, it wasn't by their own strength. Um, it was by the grace of God. And then we you know, and then we read about ones in history, you know, that that uh, have had to stand. Um, Joel's reading a book on Corey Tinboom, and you know, some of the things that she and her family and her sister went through just unimaginable. And you think, how can anybody go through that? And and uh, yeah, during that period. And uh, so, so we have their testimony too. You know, when they stand and say, um, "I could not have done it, but God's grace is sufficient. God's grace got me through." You know, one of them I read about in Iraq was a 14-year-old boy, but he did. Uh, I mean, they did kill him. But he told them. You know, I mean, they they uh, they demanded he deny Christ, and he said, "You know, I can't do that. I've always loved." He, that's what his response. He said, "I've always loved Jesus. Can't do that." They hacked him in pieces. <clears throat> so, yep. And and you know, uh, yeah. I mean, you can't face that without the grace of God. Stuff like that. But you know, th- th- that's why this is given to us, so that we know that in those situations, it's not so that we know we'll be strong enough. <laughs> it's so that we'll know that. In those situations, God is able, God is sufficient, God is strong enough to, to get us through it, one way or the other. I mean, if they, if, you know, if they kill you, you're, you're going home to be with the Lord. Uh, so uh, if, if, if they keep you alive, um, and, you know, which to me is more horrible, they, they keep you alive, and, and I've, you know, I've read quite a few testimonies of things like that, and, and, uh, but still... Uh, so how can somebody how can somebody deal with those things? God, the grace of God, and as, you know, it's things we really can't answer. Like standing here right now, not having gone through it, we we, we just know God's grace is sufficient, and uh, because the Bible tells us it is, and because He's proven Himself <laughs> millions of times, you know. But uh, but you think how could that be? Well, yeah. All right. Okay. Anything else before we wrap it up? All right. Well, let's just let me, as we uh, let's dismiss on this. Uh, I guess you could say this high note here. These last few verses, um, verse 15, 16, 17. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. Remember, um, remember David's the twenty-third Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that's the picture here, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Again, psalmist in Psalm 16 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. Uh, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And you, and you think about all of the... Um, the things described, the catastrophes, the calamity described at the end of chapter 6. And, of course, we're going to see a lot more of that further along in the book. And so this is the antithesis. I mean, you know, here he's saying uh, that none of those things are going to, going to be able to affect us. None of those things are going to be part of our experience. Uh, the sun striking us, the scorching heat, uh, no more thirst or, hu- or hunger for the Lamb Verse 17, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd or will feed them. And he will guide them to springs of living water. So, so there you've, you've got the fulfillment of Psalm 23, right? 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And here it is. This is where we, where we, where we get to the fullness of that uh, in, in the eternal state. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd, or He will feed us and He will guide us to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So the horrible uh, experience of sin, you know, not, not just this tribulation period as bad as it's going to be, probably far worse than we can imagine, but not just this tribulation period that's relatively short at the end of the age, but all of the experience of sin and death since the fall in the garden, all of human history, that's going to be history. I mean, it'll be behind us, no longer part of our experience. No more death, no more sorrow, every tear wiped away, so to speak. So, glorious state. All right, well, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word and for these precious um, promises and assurances that we have in your word here. And, Father, we, um, we pray that uh, as we do face trials, difficulties, persecutions, wh- whatever the nature of the tribulation in this world that we uh, face, we look to you to enable us by your grace, to empower us to uh, endure and to act, respond in Christ-like ways, uh, to become more and more like Christ, so that we do represent you accurately in this world. Grow us in your grace, strengthen us in the inner man, empower us to stand and to be the witnesses you've called us to be. Let it all be for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.